This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. This is The New Way We Work from Fast Company Magazine, where we take listeners on a journey through the changing landscape of our work lives and explain what we need to build the future we want. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor Kate Davis. And here to tell us about it is our producer, Josh Christensen. Hey, Josh. Hey, Kate. So what are we talking about this week? On last week's episode, we talked about what employers can do to make a more equitable hiring process. And there's one thing in particular that our guest, Lydia XC Brown, said early on in the interview that has stuck with me all week. Honestly, I've lost some sleep over it because it it just kind of hit me really hard. They said that conventional wisdom for folks with disabilities is that you don't disclose a disability or ask for accommodations until the job has been offered and the contract signed. And even then, if you don't absolutely have to disclose, then you don't. Yeah, right. It's it's the whole idea is to basically avoid the possibility of discrimination at all costs. Lydia also highlighted some of the mistakes that people make when thinking that there's a distinction between apparent and non-apparent disabilities, which really got me thinking. It's something I hadn't even considered before. Uh, They also talked about the ways that remote work has opened up more opportunities for people with disabilities, which, you know, I think kind of makes sense. But also the shortfalls that remote work has for people and, and the kind of the baked in biases with AI and recruiting tools. It's a really great episode that's a perfect primer for those who want to learn more about these issues or just kind of think about things differently. If you haven't listened yet, I think it's a really good one to go back to. So like every other equity issue that we've talked about on this show, there is so much work to be done when it comes to making a workplace where disabled folks feel welcome and have the accommodations they need. But the thing is, Employers are supposed to be doing that already. Just under 30 years ago, the U.S. passed the Americans with Disabilities Act. Reporter Lydia Dishman took a look back at the history of the ADA. By now, you've probably heard that the pandemic has hit certain groups more than others. Women, particularly women of color, have lost an historic number of jobs, which has a ripple effect on the wage gap and the global economy overall. What's less well-known, though, is that between March and August 2020, a million workers with disabilities lost their jobs. That led to 12.3% unemployment by December, which is about twice the national average. One in four U.S. adults has some type of disability. The Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA for short, offers federal protection for these individuals. This is supposed to prohibit employers from discriminating against them on the basis of disability, just as Title VII mandates that an employer can't discriminate based on race, origin, color, religion, or sex. That legislation didn't pass without a long, drawn-out battle, though, and other laws are still rife with loopholes that allow companies to discriminate. For instance, the eight-decades-old Fair Labor Standards Act has an exemption that allows employers to pay workers with disabilities special minimum wages because they can't perform their job as an able worker would. 
That loophole is a great illustration of how individuals with any kind of disability have been reduced to the bias, conscious or unconscious, that they're somehow not whole or mentally and physically capable of doing the work. This bias is as old as the U.S. itself. According to the ADA National Network, in colonial times, quote, fear, shame, and lack of understanding led some families to hide or disown their disabled members or allow them to die. A system of farming out those individuals whose families were unable or unwilling to support them to people who received public assistance to provide their room, board, and care survived until the latter part of the 19th century, end quote. Around 1820, institutionalization of those with mental and or physical disabilities was common, but public perception started to erode the practice, in part because abuse and neglect were rampant. The other reason was that in order to protect the individuals, these institutions did nothing to encourage self-sufficiency. As the ADA National Network said, quote, the loss to these individuals and to society of their freedom and contributions cannot be calculated. As a result, many individuals who could have contributed to society and lived productively have been isolated and segregated, end quote. In the 1920s and the 1960s, two things really pushed change. One was the rise in industrial accidents, and the other was return of veterans from World Wars I and II and the Korean War. Getting these people back to work was an initiative that spurred federal legislation that is widely considered to be the forerunner to our current law. And the advances in medicine and rehabilitation modalities made it easier for those who had mental and physical disabilities to re-enter the workforce. As the ADA National Network said, quote, an increasing humanization of certain classes of disabled people based on qualities of deservedness, normalcy, and employability, and a move from total societal indifference to a recognition that the remaining unfortunates must receive some level of minimal care characterized this era, which took a page from the playbook of the civil rights movement, end quote. As Arlene Mayerson noted in her article chronicling the history of the ADA for the Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund, a, quote, profound and historic shift, end quote, in public policy happened when Section 504 of the 1973 Rehabilitation Act was passed. For the first time, Meyerson wrote, quote, the exclusion and segregation of people with disabilities were viewed as discrimination. Previously, it had been assumed that the problems faced by people with disabilities, such as unemployment and lack of education, were inevitable consequences of the physical or mental limitations imposed by the disability itself. Enactment of Section 504 evidenced Congress recognition that the inferior social and economic status of people with disabilities was not a consequence of the disability itself, but instead was a result of societal barriers and prejudices. As with racial minorities and women, Congress recognized that legislation was necessary to eradicate discriminatory policies and practices, end quote. The other thing Section 504 made clear was that those with disabilities were seen as a whole minority group facing discrimination rather than separate with differing needs based on diagnosis. On the employment front, the historic case of Consolidated Rail Corporation versus Daron 
the Supreme Court found that employment discrimination was prohibited by Section 504 and formed the basis of the ADA. Other cases in the 1980s pushed the definition of disabilities to include infectious diseases, which would eventually offer protection for those with HIV AIDS. Soon after, in 1988, Senator Lowell Weicker and Representative Tony Coelho introduced the first version of the ADA at the 100th Congress, inspired by a draft bill prepared by the National Council on Disability. A joint hearing was held that September in which dozens of witnesses whose lives had been touched by disability testified. Several more years went by as congressional committees debated under the pressure of business associations, which Mayerson noted had rallied their members to oppose or weaken the bill. It would take a newly elected administration to pass legislation, Title III of the ADA, covering public accommodations, and Title II of the ADA, covering state and local government, passed on January 26, 1992. The employment provisions in Title I of the ADA passed months later, on July 26, 1992. Revisions and additions have been made over the years, but basically, the ADA prohibits employers with 15 or more employees from discriminating against applicants or employees with disabilities in hiring, pay, promotion, termination, and more. It also protects employees from retaliation when they enforce these rights under the law. There's plenty of nuance beneath these broad strokes. You can read the full text of the legislation by following the link in the show notes. For example, even though postpartum depression qualifies as a condition that affects a major life activity and is therefore covered by the ADA, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission sued an employer that fired an employee suffering from postpartum depression. That case was settled out of court. Overall, though, as Arlene Mayerson wrote, quote, the ADA is based on a basic presumption that people with disabilities want to work and are capable of working, want to be members of their communities and are capable of being members of their communities, and that exclusion and segregation cannot be tolerated. Accommodating a person with a disability is no longer a matter of charity, but instead, a basic issue of civil rights, end quote. The ADA made huge strides in equity for disabled workers, but discrimination is still a problem. As we heard on last week's episode of The New Way We Work, tools like AI resume screening have created new ways for employers to discriminate consciously or unconsciously without necessarily violating the ADA or any other laws or regulation. When it comes to disabled worker rights, we still have a long way to go. This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. And that's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to The New Way We Work wherever you listen. If you like this episode, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. 
This episode of The New Way We Work was produced by Joshua Christensen with reporting from Lydia Dishman. Thank you.